This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. It is your favorite time of the week. That's right. A brand spanking new episode of your ESPNW Women's Basketball Podcast, Around the Rim. My name, uh, Tarika, did you just try to that cut me, me off with the music? That wasn't me. I think. As soon as I get ready to say my name, Tarika tried to, uh, see how she acts? Anyway. You know what? Hi, fans. <laughs> that is the voice of my fabulous and fantastic producer, even though she just tried to cut me off, Tarika Foster Brasby. Um, I am your host, LaShida Robinson. Uh, and we have a lot to get to in this podcast, so I'm not going to talk your brain off right now in the intro. Yes, I do have a lot on my mind, but I'm going to talk about it with Rebecca Lobo. That's right. The Hall of Famer Rebecca Lobo is our guest today, and we talked about a lot of stuff. Um, I mean, Rebecca, as everybody always knows, she's funny, she's witty, she's just, she's Rebecca. She's a mom of four kids, and she looks amazing. What is my excuse, Tarika? <laughs> I couldn't even begin <laughs> to do what she does. <laughs> I don't know how she finds all the time to do what she does. Like she, she's a fantastic analyst. She's a she's a wife. She, her, and her husband have a podcast. We we talk about that. She has four kids. Like, and she works out. I can't even do two out of five of those things. I'm barely making it with two out of the five of those things. I'm barely an analyst. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Let's just start with that. <laughs> anyway, uh, Rebecca's on the show, and we will recap Big Monday between South Carolina and Missouri. We're going to preview Notre Dame, Tennessee, and just hop around a little bit. We get Rebecca's thoughts on uh, UConn and just what she feels like is happening in the landscape of women's college basketball because it's crazy right now. Absolutely crazy. So sit back, relax. Um, wait a minute. I should have did the escape version. Kick off your shoes and relax your feet. Y'all have one little Can Super Bowl in Atlanta. And now <laughs> oh, everything is Atlanta. Wait a minute. <laughs> Where does the Super Bowl come from? By the way, just really quickly. And I and I said this on Twitter. For those that don't know, I'm originally from Boston, Massachusetts. Okay, I was born there at Brigham Women's Hospital. And I'm one of 16 children, right? So there's a lot going on in my family. But the bottom line is that... My family is huge Pat fans on both sides because my mom and dad both spent the majority of their adults' lives in Boston. My mom actually was born and raised there. So it's just, you know, with the Super Bowl being in Atlanta, I was praying the Chiefs would win because (laughs) as soon as Tom Brady put the bow on that thing, my phone starts ringing. You know, and my family, listen, we're not from Boston proper. We're from Roxbury. We're from Mattapan. We're from Dorchester. Okay. My phone's ringing. Everybody wants to stay at my house. It's not happening. Okay. I don't even like the Patriots. Thank you. Gosh. I don't even like the Patriots. You they cheated. And I don't care how long that was ago. They cheated. So I've never forgotten. And I'm, I'm not a big NFL person. You guys know I don't love football. I love basketball. But Tariqa loves football. And I just was upset that that game went to overtime and that Kansas City never even got a chance to score. What kind of overtime is that? Um, you already know my feelings on the Patriots. And if I want the fans to still continue to like me, I should probably keep my opinions to myself. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Well, all I know is that I don't see how you have an overtime. You flip a coin to see who gets the football. And then if that team scores, that's it. Time left on the clock. Who cares? Something like that. It's just terrible. Horrible. Come up with some new rules. Anyway, um, (laughs) That's enough for football. Time to get to the basketball. We hope you enjoy our conversation with 
Rebecca Lobo, and no, you cannot stay at my house for the Super Bowl. I was about to ask. No. All right, basketball fans. Well, one thing I promised you was that I was not going to rely on my limited knowledge of what's happening in college women's basketball to keep you guys updated because we have so many people that know much, much more about what's happening than I than I do. So I'm excited to have one of my good friends. Um, she's a Hall of Famer. She is one of the best people that you really will ever meet. She's a mom. She's got a podcast with her husband. Please join me in welcoming to the show ESPN women's basketball analyst, Rebecca Lobo. Welcome, Rebecca. Thank you, Shana. Or should I call you Rebecca, as yeah. Coach Sanders calls you <laughs> on the show? I was like, I'm so jealous because I thought I came up with the best, like, uh, rendition of your name, right? It was LaBecca because for obvious reasons, we're like sisters and I'm LaChina. I thought you should be LaBecca. But then he said Rebecca and I was like, that's actually pretty, pretty cool. Which one do you like best? Well, I'm going to make you choose. Well, I like when you call me LaBecca and that's just his accent. That's just his accent. Yeah. It's not like he's trying to give me an affectionate name. He thinks, even though everyone else calls me Rebecca, he thinks that it's Rebecca. And, um, <laughs> oh, he and does. I actually, yeah, 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 and and I love it. That's that's what he calls me, and uh, and I love working with Coach Landers. So, so it all works. Does he have you ever pointed out to him that he says it that way? Other people have, and uh-huh. um, and he just doesn't really react. <laughs> I love it. I love it. His <laughs> accent is fun, though. Like he says some words, and I'm like, what did he say? I have to press rewind and go back and try to interpret it. You know, put my southern oh, that male makes hat me on. feel good because you you should have your ear tuned to the southern way living in Atlanta I so should. I'm glad I'm not the only one but let me tell you Atlanta and then the outskirts of it of Georgia are totally different and coach Landers True. is definitely as we know the farm boy so he's from the country you know and I'm like that accent is a little different that twang is a little different in that part of Georgia that it is in Atlanta uh, but we have fun watching you guys in studio and it's clear that you have fun but we're excited to have you on the show. There's so much going on, a lot for us to unpack. Fans, um, we are going to recap with Rebecca our big Monday game between South Carolina and Missouri on MLK Day, which was a big, big, big matchup, especially for the SEC. Uh, we're also going to preview Notre Dame, Tennessee. What in the world is going on with the Lady Vols? Um, and we'll get Rebecca's thoughts on just some general things that are happening. But first of all, let's kick things off with some sound here. This is Ty Harris, the point guard for for South Carolina. Um, and by the way, the Gamecocks won. They beat Missouri at home 79 to 65. But here's Ty Harris, uh, with our Beth Moens and Debbie Antonelli. Ty Harris got things going in that second half. What was the key for you guys tonight? Stay composed, stay poised, and stay focused on, on the game at hand. Um, just, just, just exactly what you said. Just stay composed and, uh, don't get into the hype for things and, um, just stick with the game plan. Ty, what about you individually? You didn't score in the first half. The mm-hmm. second half you come out, especially in the third quarter, had a big game. What changed for you? Um, My teammates. Uh, my confidence was down a little bit, but they uh, they was like, you're going to get it the second half, keep shooting. And Coach Daly said something to me um, before the third quarter. It was like, you better shoot. You better not end up with six shots or something's going to happen. So I had to keep shooting, and it went in. How much more fun and efficient is it for you when you have the kind of balance around you that you have now? I mean, everybody seems to be getting a little bit better offensively. Um, it's nice. I'm, I love that we're gelling at this point in time because that's what we needed. Uh, it's SEC time, and we had to get together. and um, Everybody's scoring and passing, and it just looks good. What do you really enjoy about this three-point guard lineup? It seems to be pretty effective yeah. for you guys. Your scoring has yeah. gone way up in the last uh, 
four games. Um, I like that we have balance. We have outside shooters, and then we got the inside. And if if one um doesn't do nothing, then we got the other, and then we just run and we create havoc on defense. Yeah, I want to ask you about your defense because that seemed to set the tone. You guys came out and you got a couple steals. You uh-huh. scored 13 points in the first quarter off six turnovers. How important was that for you guys to get going off to a good start? Um, it's it's very important. Um, if we don't get any steals or or defense have havoc, we we can't we can't score, and then we can't keep the pace of the game. And our one of keys to win is push tempo, so we got to get that done. And 23 points off of those turnovers, 18 second chance points as your bigs got it done <laughs> on the boards for you. So this was a, an intriguing matchup, right, for, for a lot of reasons. For those that have not been paying attention, um, there has been just a rivalry of sorts that has developed between Missouri and South Carolina. Um, you know, and, and you can look up the whole story, but basically from just a lot of physical play, um, you know, Sophie Cunningham is someone that, that comes to mind um, as a very physical player. So in these matchups, um, you know, I mean, it's been a little ticky-tacky, right? And so it started with the kind of the physicality of it. But then for both teams, um, it, it became a little bit more than that. And there were some accusations um, that have gone back and forth between the schools about things that the crowd has said. There was a, a lawsuit actually um, filed by Don Staley against the Missouri athletic director. So this has been a lot. There's a, there's a history. Um, but the game started with a unity circle. These teams and coaches decide to just bury all of that, though there was some physicality last night. It did not seem like that was the headline. The headline is this new configuration that Don Staley has on her team. No Asia Wilson, but a lot of backcourt. Bianca Cuevas-Moore, Taya Cooper, anti Harris, all could be point guards, all in the starting lineup. Uh, Rebecca, what did you take away from this game? Well, first of all, I mean, I am just so impressed with what Don Staley has done with this group in the last, I don't know, month and a half. Because when you watch them early in the season, I was just thinking, oh, this is going to be a rough year for South Carolina. They're just going to have to bide their time until that recruiting class comes in next year because they did not look good early. And changing to this lineup with the guards in the lineup, they are playing really, really well. They really competed against Mississippi State, a team who is, you know, top 10 team in the country, obviously. So I was, I've been really impressed with South Carolina, how far they've come. Uh, in this game, they did exactly what they needed to do in terms of turning Missouri over early and building up a bit of a lead. I think it was a 10-point lead or 12-point lead at the end of the first quarter because Missouri wanted to play a deliberate pace. You know, when I was watching in the first and second quarter in particular, uh, you know, there were possessions where Missouri wasn't even really initiating their offense until the shot clock was down to 15 or below. But you can't play that way from a deficit for very long. And, uh, And so for South Carolina to jump out the way they did, it got the crowd involved. It took Missouri kind of out of what they needed to do in terms of limiting possessions to win. And uh, and they just played well. And, and Kiki Herbert-Harrigan, man, I've, I've really liked watching her as well, just how her game has evolved, um, what she's able to do now facing the basket from the three-point line. Um, you know, she's given post players a good name right now, don't you think? Oh, man. Yeah, you know what? I remember even back to the year they won the national championship, I just, for some reason, I was fascinated by her contributions that year. Now, keep in mind, 
that was the season where they lost Coates. So Herbert Harrigan down the stretch of that run, they had to like throw in the mix, right? Um, and she didn't have the experience, but you could just tell that there was something about her. She had a bounce. She had an energy to her. Um, and so, yeah, it, it has been so fun to watch her play. I just think it's interesting though, Rebecca, that this is a team and you're right. Like Dawn Staley has, has had to find a new playbook, um, because they went from relying so heavily on what they could do in the interior and they were still, they still had a great, presence on the inside with Jennings and Herbert Harrigan, um, Lily Grissett off of the bench. I thought she played some some quality minutes, but uh, they relied heavily on their guards. I mean, thinking about just the three-point line, for example, I mean, they were three for five in the first quarter. So you say to yourself, okay, there was once a time where you didn't know if South Carolina was going to hit a three. And yeah. so they've got a little bit more balance, but it seems like also relying on their, their defense from that perimeter play with the 23 points off turnovers. Yeah, and, and think about it. I mean, they lost one player, just one starter from last year's team. But, you know, pretty good player in Asia Wilson. We saw how she dominated, uh, you know, as a rookie in the WNBA. But for them this year, you know, even though some many of the pieces are similar, what they're doing is very different. And, um, and again, credit to Don Staley and her staff because they did a really good job. And, and you, you brought up the unity circle, and I understand why they did that. But I kind of like it when teams don't like each other. You know, yes. I grew up in the era of, you know, Celtics and, uh, you know, the, the, the Pistons or the Pistons and the Bulls or whatever. Like, it would have been okay if they didn't have a unity circle. It would have been okay if those teams went out there and were playing hard-nosed and feisty and, you know, the crowd's still booing Sophie uh, Cunningham every time she touches the ball. <laughs> yes. well, you know, I, I, I appreciate what they did because of all the, all the animosity that seemed to be there last year. But sometimes it's okay to have it's okay to have that dislike uh, among teams when you go out there and compete. You know, you kind of feel it between you kind of Notre Dame. I think you feel it a little bit now between Louisville and Notre Dame, and it adds a little spice, and spice is okay. It does. And you know what? I'm so glad you brought that up because the last night I was trying to convince some of my friends that are usually on the fence about women's college basketball to tune in and watch the game, right? So I'm like, guys, it's Big Monday. You know, I'm always on this kick. We got to watch this game. And they're like, okay, why should we watch this game? So when I started telling them about, you know, Sophie Cunningham, like, you know, she, you know, there's this whole conversation going on. Is she a dirty player? Is she not? Like, you know, she's feisty. She does all these things. You know, she's a Grayson Allen of women's college basketball. And then, you know, I was telling them about what happened with Dawn Staley. And, you know, obviously some of these things that happened between these two are very serious, right? Especially when you think yeah. about the, the legal side. But take some of that out and just get down to what you, what you talked about, the physicality, the, the rivalry and and the just everything that kind of makes the game spicy. I think that's a great word. And all of a sudden, Rebecca, they were excited about watching it. They were like, okay, which one is, is number three? Oh, right. she looks like a, you know, they were just totally into it. And we've heard this before. You and I get this rhetoric during WNBA season where people are like, we want rivalries, right? Like in, in the WNBA, we want teams that, um, you know, like the year LA and Detroit had a little battle, you know, and then people say, well, that's not how women should be playing. That's not how sh- they should be acting. Why not? It's a natural right. instinct. Your aggression is increased in the game. You know, you, you have heightened emotions around it. I don't see anything wrong with it. No, I, I agree. And it's kind of a, the, the same thing that happened at the end of UConn-Notre Dame, you know, mm-hmm. with uh, with Arika Goombawale having some words with Coach Oriana and then, you know, the, the technical thought. Like, 
how great is that if they meet again in the NCAA tournament? You know, it's just a little yeah. spice on it. You know, <laughs> there's, there's certain players that add, you know, put a little paprika on the game. Yeah. It makes yes. it more interesting. It makes it more flavorful. And um, and it's not it's not necessarily bad. And in a lot of cases, I like it. Yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you. A little spice never hurt anybody. Okay, that's the Cuban side of Rebecca coming out there. Cuban coming out. Yes. Uh, sticking um, with the SEC. Well, let me just ask you this: is, is Missouri legit in your opinion? Like, is this a team that y- you see with an opportunity to make it to the second weekend in the NCAA tournament, or where do you really see their potential? Obviously, we know Sophie Cunningham is, is a great player, but anything else stand out to you about this team? Um, second weekend, sure. I really, really like Amber Smith. I like how she plays. I like how she finishes, especially as an undersized player. I think the Sierra Porter story is really, really interesting and not mm-hmm. people aren't talking about it enough. I mean, how often do you hear about a college player medically retiring and then, you know, at Christmas time saying, you know what, my knee feels pretty good. I'm coming out of medical retirement as a college player and then uh, rejoining her team. Like, I just think that's a fascinating story. Mm-hmm. Um but, yeah, you know, it, this is a time of year, LaChina, as you know, like conference games, conference teams know how to expose one another. Like mm-hmm. conference games are ugly because the teams know each other so well. They've scouted each other so well. So, you know, it's hard to watch a game last night, for example, between Missouri and South Carolina and say, you know, this is what I can take from, from uh, about Missouri from this game. I mean, it's just so hard when you're playing within your conference. That's why I love the out-of-conference matchups like the one we have on Thursday. You know, Notre Dame going down to Tennessee, out-of-conference. They don't know each other as well. It's, it shouldn't be as much of a brawl and, and you know, an ugly game. Um, but, yeah, can, can, can Missouri make it to the second weekend without question? They can. Yeah, I thought I think Robin Pinchton's done a fantastic job. And back to that Sierra Porter story, the best part is when she came back, she was able to score her 1,000th career point. So she hit a major milestone. You know, had she not returned, she would have never hit 1,000 points. But she got that, which is huge, as you know, in any player's career. So that's yeah, a sweet part she got yeah. out of the deal, too. Hey, basketball fans, stay right where you are because me and Rebecca Lobo are going to dive into the big matchup this week between number one Notre Dame and the Tennessee Lady Vols, plus much, much more including will we see Maya Moore this WNBA season? So sit back, listen up. We've got more after this, but don't forget to subscribe to Around the Rim on whatever podcast app you use, ESPN app, Apple podcast. Um, just search Around the Rim and subscribe so you could be the first person to hear from Tarika and I when a new episode drops. You can also follow us on Twitter. I am at LaChina Robinson. She is at she knows sports underscore um, and our podcast Twitter handle, which is at around the rim pod or send us an email at around the rim podcast at gmail.com. We will be right back with more show right after this. Bring up the Lady Vols um, and, and we're going to get to this matchup, um, this big matchup on Thursday uh, between Notre Dame and Tennessee. But right now in conference play in the SEC, they're being led by Mississippi State 5-0, and South Carolina's 5-1. and As you mentioned, Don Staley's brought that team along. Missouri is fourth. Four and two, Kentucky is three and two, Auburn three and two, and there's a, like a log jam after that. But Tennessee finds themselves in the cellar, next to last in the conference standings, um, as uh, they are the they have one win on the season, one and five. Vanderbilt is the only team that's worse record wise. They're zero and five. 
Um, there's a lot of discussion right now about the Lady Vols. I mean, we're seeing historic numbers. I don't know. They've now lost five games in a row, which is probably 30 or 40 years ago, the last time this has happened, if this has ever happened. But they've lost uh, to Missouri, Kentucky, at Georgia, at Alabama, and then last night to Arkansas by one point. Now, outside of that game at Alabama, these losses have been close. 66-64, So Holly Warlick's team has just not been able to get over the hump. And there's this shockwave going through the women's basketball community right now because this is just not what you know about the Lady Vols. Are you concerned about this team right now, meaning uh, – are they not living up to their potential? Is this youth? What's happening right now um, if, in, from your perspective? Um, I don't know about the question of if they're not living up to their potential because, you know, we're not in practice every day. We don't, haven't seen what their potential is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I think a huge part of it is youth. You know, seven of the ten players on the roster are freshmen and sophomore, uh, freshmen, freshmen and sophomores. And, uh you know, Renaya Davis is a supremely talented player. She's really, really struggling through this uh, losing streak, uh, shooting the basketball. But she's a sophomore. And last year she was the term- team's third leading scorer, but she wasn't the focus of the opposing, de- opposing team's defense. That was Mercedes Russell and Jamie Nard. They were the ones you were game planning for. And, and this year now it's Mimi Jackson and, and Renaya Davis who are going to bear some of the brunt of in terms of their opponent's best defensive player, they're struggling. And, and in particular, Mimi Jackson and Renaya Davis are really struggling with their shots. And I was watching again uh, the other day, the fourth quarter of their Alabama game, and they had very makeable shots, and they didn't make any of them. You know, that quarter started, they, they were down five. They come out two really good mid-range shots. They miss them. Alabama goes down and banks in the three. And sometimes that's just like how things are. And you know that, China, when you're winning and things are rolling, it's easy to stay rolling. But when you're losing and rolling, it's also easy to stay rolling. And, um, and, and they're clearly struggling right now. Uh, but I also, you know, Tennessee – because they have such a great tradition. Um, but still, you need older players in practice every day teaching the younger pr- players what wearing that Tennessee on their jersey means. You know, And it's not just about um, learning the history. It's not just knowing about Candace Parker and Tamika Catchings and, and Pat Summit. When, when you put on a certain jersey, you, every day your, your upperclassmen are teaching you um, what that means, what 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 your work ethic is expected to be every day in practice, what it's expected to be every day in games. And I think when you have so many um, underclassmen, that can be a difficult thing to pass on. So, um, you know, these guys are getting a lot of scrutiny. I, I, I really feel for Holly Warlick because, I mean, th- this has got to be a really difficult time, not only losing, losing at home, losing in conference. Um, but... Uh, but, you know, that's that's sometimes what happens when you have teams with this much youth. Yeah, and you would know. I mean, if you're just joining our podcast, we are talking to the Hall of Famer, Rebecca Lobo. I mean, you would know about that tradition and how it's passed down, right? Um, because that's what happens at UConn. Like people, you know, you come in and this is you're taught this is what happens and this is how we do things. And so um, I think that the the expectation is always what I struggle with, right? Like if this was not Tennessee, if they had this roster of youth, because I agree with you completely. I mean, I, I was just looking at their roster a minute ago. Renaya Davis is a sophomore. Avina Westbrook's a sophomore. 
Um, you know, Mimi Jackson is that senior presence, but Zay Green is a freshman, like a, a lot of youth. And so if this was any other team, um, you know, with, with young players playing in, in such a, such critical positions, would we be this, Upset. I mean, people are upset that the Lady Vols are not playing well. Like, this should never happen. And I think it also takes a little bit away from the amount of parity that there is in, in our game right now, right? So, like, let's not forget about that. Like, other teams are better. But I, I struggle sometimes because I also think that when people put on that orange, like, you're just supposed to win because that's what I'm used to seeing. But uh, to your point about the shooting, uh, looking at conference numbers, uh, Renaya Davis is shooting 38%. Uh, from the field in conference play, 30% from three. And then Mimi Jackson is shooting a dismal 23% from the field, 24% from three-point line. Um, I kind of felt that sometimes that Avina Westbrook is, is really the key. Like, I've, I've felt like that. Yeah. I watched Tennessee play when I was in Bahamas. Um, Tennessee was there. They had a tournament. Iowa was there. Uh, Florida State. So it was a good time, Clemson, to just see some teams. And, I just, I was concerned about their motor. Like that, in all honesty, like I'm looking at these players that, I mean, out on the floor, they look like world-class athletes. I mean, they have length at every position. They're extremely athletic. You know, they can shoot the ball, obviously struggling with some of that right now. But I'm like, wow, look at, look at these players. But you know, as well as I know, Rebecca, they're also for 40 minutes has to be a level of focus and intensity and tenacity. And so you can't just look at this roster and say they're talented or they have these recruits or these McDonald's All-Americans like they do have to understand what it takes to win in 40 minutes and I thought that there were just times at least in the Bahamas and I haven't watched them play as much as I did early on you know in in recent games but um, I just felt like they needed a motor like they needed someone who was going to set the thing on fire right Um, every team needs that player and and I just didn't see the emotion and I was like wow Avina Westbrook to me is their most talented player, in my opinion, um, with her upside, her size at the point guard spot. And I've always felt like the point guard sets the tone for what's ha- what happens with the rest of the team. So I kept wanting her to be that person. I don't know if she has it in her. She played well last night despite the loss. But I'm, I'm wondering what will happen in her development from a leadership standpoint, because obviously Mimi Jackson is, is struggling. I think she's a, she's a good leader, but she doesn't have it right now. So who will? Yeah. You know, and I agree. Avina Westbrook is a terrific talent, and she's been the one who's continued to be pretty consistently good, even through through the course of their struggles. It, you know, I can only speak from experience and from watching. And I feel like in your, when you're in college, your freshman and sophomore years are, are big glowing moments. You learn how to work hard. You learn how to work hard consistently in practice every day, and you learn how to win. And even if you look like at, at UConn, for example, um, Megan Walker last year struggled to even find the floor. This year she's finding some consistency, you know, since maybe the, since Christmas, since midway point through her sophomore year. Kristen Williams, you know, the top freshman in the country, has had some great moments and some moments when when she hasn't been as good as she can be. She's a freshman. This is what happens. Your freshman and sophomore years are the growing moments. And hopefully you're on a team where the seniors and juniors can help get you through that, where they're the ones who can step forward and win the game in the tight moments while you watch them and learn how to do it maybe the following year or the following year. And the hard part with Tennessee, when you rely so much on these young players, they haven't had a chance yet to to really learn because it takes time to learn how to work 
to the top of your capacity every day and, and to be consistent and to learn how to win. You learn all of that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so to me, you know, I understand that there's frustration out there, but I think there would be a lot more concern if this is happening next year when, when this, this class of sophomores is now juniors and should be on kind of getting to, to the other side of that struggle. Yeah, yeah. And with the bulk of their talent in that sophomore class, I mean, I remember vividly returning back my sophomore year and everyone knew how to play me. You know what I mean? Like it was so different because yeah. everybody has so much film on you and they're like, you're like, wait a minute, I like, I want to go left. Like well, nobody's letting me go left. Um, and so, you know, there's that aspect of it too, that you have to blossom and find new ways. You know, you come to freshman, you're new, people are like, okay, you know, you kind of get away with some things, but then, I mean, uh, our coaches are too good. I mean, they're going to start to take yeah. away what you like to do. And so that sophomore year is huge in terms of growth. So I, I completely agree. Um, but uh, on this slide, it doesn't help that on Thursday night um, on our air, uh, Tennessee will be taking on Notre Dame. I, I just want to get your thoughts on Notre Dame. You know, I, I'm a little concerned about Notre Dame for a, a, a few reasons. Um, I have concerns about the point guard spot, right? Marina Mabry, who started out the year um, injured, you know, has been slow going on the way ba- on her way back. We just saw um, you called the game against Louisville uh, in South Bend, and you know Muffet had to put Jackie Young at the point guard. That ended up being a great decision. Yes, you can make those kind of changes on the fly and have success for the rest of the year. Notre Dame did it last year, so should I be concerned about that? Maybe not, but I do have concerns there. But I, I just feel like Notre Dame is feeling pressure. Like I, when I watched them play last season, um, nobody expected them to do anything, especially after they got thrashed by Louisville, um, you know, in the ACC season. We were like, okay, well, they lost these players. They've got injuries. Okay, forget about it. And Notre Dame kind of used that as fuel, right? We're the underdogs. No one expects us to win. We're still expected to win. Muffin McGraw did an outstanding coaching job to to get them even in position to win the national championship, undermanned, underpositioned, all the above. It seems like they're feeling the pressure, though, this year. You get everybody back, including the addition of, of Brianna Turner. And to me, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you see this when you watch them play. They're just not playing as free. They're playing like they're supposed to win. And that can be, and you can speak to this, Rebecca, um, to me that can sometimes be a bit of a burden. I don't know. But I, I'm a little concerned about them for those reasons. Is Am I do you have any concerns about Notre Dame right now? Am I just making this up? <laughs> I could be. You know, I do that sometimes. You know, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> you know, I, I'm sure it, you know that that's all valid. If you're seeing that, um, I, I just when I'm watching Notre Dame right now, I'm just like, okay, this is the team that consistently impresses me the most, and um, I think the UConn loss was really good for them because. Um, you know, Muffin McGraw had been harping on their defense. She's still harping on their defense. Right. Um, but I think it probably helped refocus them a little bit. Um, but, you know, it, it, it's it's a pretty nice luxury when, okay, Marina Baby's struggling against uh, Louisville's pressure. Here, Jackie Young, you know, one of the most efficient players in the country at her position. Why don't you, um, why don't you take the reins? And, and, you know, Notre Dame, Coach Landers had, had an idea, and, and we did it last night in studio, um, just about how good they are 
in transition defense. And they're sixth in the country in point in fast break points. And most teams get into their fast break into, into transition off of steals. Well, that's not how Notre Dame does it. They are phenomenal, grabbing defensive boards, quickly running the other way. They sprint out every one of their players who doesn't get the rebound. So the other four are sprinting out the other end. They put in incredible amount of pressure on the defense to sprint back and then once they do figure out how you're going to stop it because they can hit threes in transition they can hit alley-oops in transition and you've got a goombawale who will just take it at you in transition so um right now to me i think they're playing the best consistent offensive basketball um in the country and you know coach it's interesting when you when you hear coach mcgraw because it's you know talking about Defense getting a little better, but we still have to get better there because they're playing so much of that zone. But offensively, um, you know, they, they just put it on you, and 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 it's consistent and a lot of pressure that they're going to put on you to score a lot of points when you play them. Yeah, and I probably, you know, I definitely have very. I mean, my standards are high when it comes to Notre Dame, and um, you know, Louisville makes games ugly. I've never, I have, I have not seen Notre Dame play as ugly offensively. Um, as they have against Louisville in a in a long yeah. time, and so maybe yeah. some of that concern comes from that. But I also, when I'm saying I don't know Notre Dame, I'm not saying I don't think Notre Dame is going to make it to the Final Four. I'm saying can they win another national championship? And I think if I really boil down what my major concern is, they've got to have Marina Mabry at full tilt. She is a yeah. dog. Like she is the player that to me gives them that swag, plays with that carelessness. You know, mistakes don't bother her. When she's at her best, when she is, you know, shooting the ball well. I mean, she shot the three so well on their way to the national championship last year, which was major for them. And also how she handled pressure, how she, you know, conducted. I don't see that same level of confidence from her. And and I think the team needs that. As good as Jackie Young is, Jackie Young is not the emotional leader that Marina Mabry is. And when they're missing that, I think it hurts them. I think they'll get there, though. You know, one of my favorite quotes last year, it was after the semifinal games, and we we were talking to some of the Notre Dame players in a room, and Marina Mabry was just talking about how poorly she shot against UConn. She's like, so I just started tra- talking some trash to some players. She's like, I was figured I had to get involved somehow. And, um, <laughs> she did. <laughs> and, but, her, you know, her teammates see that. They, You're absolutely right. She totally gives them their swagger. Um so I think it'll come. I think it'll come, you know. And, and, and we talked about talked about it before, too. When you're in the midst of your conference season, especially this time of year, this is the hardest time of year to get through as a player, uh, especially, you know, a couple weeks ago when, when you're still not in classes. The only people that you've been around for a month are your teammates, whether it's on the road or home. There's no students on campus. You're kind of getting sick of one another. You're just ready yeah. for the next part of the season to get going. Yeah. And um, and I think that's been reflected, too, in some of the basketball that we've seen, you know, the past couple of weeks. Yeah. But, um, but I, I will be stunned if come, you know, ACC tournament time or even this Thursday night, if Marina Mabry does not have her swagger back, if she's not, you know, finding a way to be involved, uh, what, whether or not it's making threes, she can give her team energy. Yes. And um, and she will be doing that by the time the ACC tournament rolls around. Yeah, I kind of sound like Muffet. Like, we're never good enough. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's the attitude. So uh, just quickly, 
other than obviously Tennessee getting the confidence back from Davis, from Jackson, is there any chance that the Lady Vols can knock off Notre Dame on Thursday? I don't think they're good enough. I, I don't think they're good enough right now after losing the amount of games they've lost in a row, that affects your confidence, even if you're playing at home. Versus Notre Dame, who has to be really confident right now, who's playing really, really well, I think it would be it will be a huge struggle um, for Tennessee to do that. In order to do it, I think they ha- their press has to start working again. They've got to ca- create some turnovers. They've got to figure out a way to slow down Notre Dame's running game. But just because I've lived it and I've been there and I know what it's like when you're on a team, when you've lost games like this, you need to have supreme confidence to beat a team like Notre Dame. And I would think right now Tennessee will be – I just can't imagine they have that confidence just because of how it's gone for them the past couple of weeks. Love it. That's seven o'clock. But people should still, but people should still watch. Yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> well, you should. I mean, the game is at Tennessee. That's number one Notre Dame at Tennessee. So the Lady Vol fans will be in their seats, seven p.m. on ESPN. Um, our whole final four crew is gonna be there, right? You, Kara, Adam, Holly, is that everybody? And Holly, yeah, oh, awesome, we're all great. There. So yeah, I mean, we're gonna watch that anyway. But no, it should be good basketball. Make sure you tune in. Um, and just quickly, you know, looking at. I was I was browsing through, and you're you're a voter, so you get how hard it is, right? Like our job as AP voters right now, people need to put some respect on it because last week, I mean, Doug Feinberg, who you know does all the AP poll stuff, he's he's awesome. He does more than that. I mean, he's like a, a women's basketball. He does you know WNBA. He's he's the AP guy. Anyway, so you know he sends us this joking email for our AP voting week and he's like oh well good luck we've had 55 teams lose you know <laughs> like this team tw- number 22 lost 23 25 17 12 7 9 8 you know so we're like okay uh, but there are so many there's a lot of movement right now in the rankings um, especially once you get outside of the top 10 but uh I want to just quickly let, I have to talk about your Huskies because people were panicking this past week that they went from tied for number two to number three. Um, it's Notre Dame, Baylor, UConn, Louisville, Oregon is what the top five looks like right now. Uh, are you concerned at all about how UConn has played? I mean, even in some games that they've won, they've had, Seems like they've had closer games in the American Athletic Conference, at least for a half, than we're used to seeing. So teams are challenging them for maybe 20 minutes. But I don't know. Are you liking what you see from the Huskies right now? Uh, yeah, I did their game against South Florida, where South Florida's three best players were out due to injury. And um, and UConn did not look good. You know, Coach Ariama benched his starters five minutes in to the first quarter. Um you know, I think the first three or four possessions of the game, South Florida got an offensive rebound. Uh, you know, UConn was struggling a bit. And um, it's we're not used to seeing that. You know, we're used to seeing them be dominant. Um, Carl Adamek, who's a, a longtime beat writer for UConn, who writes for the Journal Inquirer up here in Connecticut, um, I had asked him, you know, when was the last time UConn had this many games um, that were decided by 10 or 11 points or fewer. And it's been at this point of the season, and it's been like 25 years. So it, it's wow. real. You know, they have a lot more, they've had a lot more close games this year than we're used to seeing. But at the same time, you know, last year, the criticism, not from people who really know basketball, but the criticism from, you know, some fans was, you know, UConn's last, lost the last two semifinal games on buzzer beaters. They don't know how to win close games. Well, okay. 
So this year, at least, they have those close games. <laughs> and for the most part, they're learning how to, how to win those close games. Um, yeah. Is UConn as good this year as they've been in the past few years? I don't think so, no. Mm. Um, can they still win a national championship? Yeah, I think they can. But you know what? What's so exciting, I think, for us covering the game is that for the first time in as long as I can remember, like I look at the AP poll and I'm going down, you know, number one, yeah, they can win the whole thing. They can win the whole thing. They can win the whole thing. Like I can get down to, I don't know, seven or eight teams that I, I think can win the national championship this year. And, and on the men's side, maybe that wouldn't say a lot, but on the women's side it does. You know, mm-hmm. in the past however many years it's always been this team and everybody else. Like, when's the last time we got to the Final Four and, and didn't have an undefeated team or didn't have a team that was an absolute prohibitive favorite to win the national championship? Uh, it's been a really long time. And so this year it's exciting to me because it's like, okay, UConn's down a little bit, but they could still win. Baylor, yeah, yeah they could win the whole thing. Notre Dame could win the whole thing. Like, Oregon, Stanford, yep, yep, I believe they could have won the whole thing. Like, it's just it, – it's it's – it's getting there, and, and it's, been a, it's been fun as a result to watch these games. Now, you say that you don't think UConn is as good as they have been the last two years. Is that talent? Is that youth? Like, what is it that makes you, that brings you to that conclusion? Uh, well, they need a lot from a freshman and a sophomore. You know, Kristen Williams um, is going to have to play well for them. Uh, you know, you, you, you trust implicitly, you know, that they're juniors and seniors. You know what you're going to get from Katie Lusamus and Nafisa Collier every day. Krista Bangerfield is going to bring what she brings. Um, Megan Walker has been a little bit more consistent. I think if Megan Walker had shot the ball well and played better, UConn could have beat Baylor. I think that the beginning of that game, if she made some of her early shots, it would have changed the tone a bit. Um, and then off the bench, you know, last year they had Hazard Stevens coming in off the bench. That right there made them a better team last right. year, you know, than they are this year. They they don't have even that sixth player who comes in and makes a real, real impact. Um, so they just, you know, they're a little younger than they've been and um, uh, even thinner than they've been. And, um, and you know, we're seeing, seeing some vulnerabilities um, in certain matchups, especially, you know, we saw it against Baylor, um, you know, with, with the big players. So, um but that's okay, and, and that's going to be fun, and that's gonna it's going to make things even more interesting. Yes, it has been a fun race. I'm just looking down the top 25 right now, thinking about um, some things that stand out to me. Definitely, NC State's you know undefeated team, 18 to no, despite injuries that should have ravished them. Now, yes, their schedule real their schedule will ratchet up another notch in the next week or two, which would tell us a lot about the Wolfpack. But Westmore has to be leading the Coach of the Year conversation from a national standpoint. Marquette is the number 10 team uh, this week. And Carolyn Keeker Seniors, that group, um, finally has figured things out, right? I mean, Alizea Blockton, Atisha Heideman, we saw flashes of greatness uh, their first three seasons, and they've had a ton of success when it comes to the, the historical perspective for uh, the Golden Eagles. But they have just been beating Big East teams by 20, 30 points. So they could be a scary team if they move into the postseason with that kind of confidence. Uh, Rutgers is a team that a lot of people are surprised about. You know, Vivian Stringer has got, she strung together a group of interesting transfers and new addition. You know, you talk about freshmen, the youth and inexperience. Well, there's some new faces for Rutgers that are tearing through the Big Ten. They are undefeated in league play. Uh, number 14 this week in the top 25. Uh, but Siani Cryer and Stacia Carey. Cryer is a, is a transfer from Georgia Tech. And uh, Stacia Carey is a, a transfer from Pitt. So new places, new faces, but having a lot of success for, for Vivian Stringer. 
the Big Ten is 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 crazy. Um, the SEC's had some moments, but is, is there anything or any team or any player right now, Rebecca, that stands out to you? As I know, you're always just watching the landscape. Um, you know, I think a team that we haven't talked enough about, and maybe it's a West Coast thing, is Stanford. Um, they're really good. They're really good on the offensive end. I, it would not surprise me one bit if Stanford is in the Final Four this year. And I know we talk a lot about Oregon because they're really good um, and out of the Pac-12. But Stanford is a team that every time I watch them, they impress me. They had a close game at Arizona State, and I was flipping through the channels and, and came upon that at you know near the end of the game. And every time Arizona State made a play, Stanford uh, responded, and they just struck me as a team. All right. This is a group that knows how to win. This is a group that knows how to make big plays, and um, and they're they're a team that um, that's that's really interesting to me. Uh, you mentioned Marquette. You know, this is the year when that freshman class came in, and all those guys were starting, and they were young but talented. Well, now they're seasoned and talented, and and I saw you tweeted about it. You know, when they brought Mississippi State to the wire, you know, everybody else who's just learning about Marquette, you better <laughs> learn about Marquette because you've been covering them with China for the last four years, and. Um, and they're an interesting team to me. And, and you brought up NC State. Yeah, Westmore has done a remarkable job. It's the only undefeated team left right now. And uh, they've got that to a stretch. It starts right around Valentine's Day and it lasts a week where they have three games uh, in particular that are going to be tough. They've got Syracuse, Notre Dame, and, um, and, and Louisville kind of in a two-week stretch. And we're going to learn about them. But they also have Clemson coming up, and Clemson's a team that <laughs> – you know, is so much improved uh, from last year to this year. So, um, you know, it's it's just it's a fun year to kind of pay attention to everything that's that's been going on. Yes, yeah, so so much going on. Well, Rebecca, we are always grateful when you make the time to come on our show, fans. Also, if you have not checked out. Um, Rebecca has a podcast with her husband, Steve, that is fantastic. It is hilarious. They talk about everything from parenting to, you know, their their dynamics. I mean, it, they're they're so funny and it's, it's so entertaining. Uh, Rebecca, where can they get your podcast? Um, where can they listen to it? The, the podcast is called Ball and Chain. And um, pretty <laughs> much it's on iTunes. It's on wherever people listen to their podcasts. You can uh you can find it. We also talk a lot about youth hoops um, and youth sports since that's the world we're in with, with four kids now. But uh, but appreciate you talking about it. And um, and I love listening to uh, Around the Rim. I'm, I'm certain we'll do a promo for it uh, during our big game on Thursday. <laughs> I always appreciate it. Adam gave us a shout-out uh, last week, and Tarika almost lost her mind. I mean, no, I'm just kidding. Tarika, don't say it. It was unprompted. I couldn't <laughs> it believe was. it. It's really sweet. No, we appreciate you guys giving shout-outs. And um, you can also follow Rebecca Lobo at Rebecca Lobo on Twitter. Um, Rebecca, just quickly before I let you go, I know it's not WNBA season yet, but uh, is there anything you're thinking about right now as far as the draft or, or next year or free agency? Is there anything on the top of your mind uh, from a WNBA standpoint? I think, you know, the top story is, is the Maya Moore situation in Minnesota. Um, is she going to play this year? Is she not going to play this year? If she does play this year, is it going to be in Minnesota? Is it going to be somewhere else? Like basically what the heck is going on with Maya Moore, (laughs) I think is, um, is the question we're all interested in because, you know, Lindsay Whalen retiring, um, that team, you know, we've been talking about it for years, continuing to age, uh, you know, if Maya doesn't play, it's going to be a very different season for them than if she does. So, uh, you know, I think that's the biggest story in the W right now.
Yeah. I mean, people are scared. I was, I was, I, when that came out, I was like, what? Like, I just couldn't even focus, couldn't get myself together. Tarika sends me a text like, I can't believe this. Or I think it might have been a tweet yeah. and everybody's panicking. <laughs> and I'm like, Maya Moore, especially, I think the thing that got me, and I think it was a clip and you may have sent it to me of a, of a news station and they use the word retire. And I was like, yeah. where is this coming from? Like that would that would be a travesty. That would be devastating. I mean, not that Maya Moore has not done enough for us. Let me just back that up. Right. Like, I mean, come on. She's given us fantastic basketball. She has every right to do whatever she wants to do with the rest of her life. She's won four championships. No one's ever going to forget her. She's the the first one of woman of the Jordan brand. She's done a lot. But still retire. What does your gut say, Rebecca? What do you think? Are we going to see Maya Moore next season? Um, I, I don't know. I have no intel on that. I'll say this. If she, if she decides to retire, as you said, she's done everything she needs to do. As a basketball fan, I would absolutely miss watching her if, uh, if she wasn't on the court. She, she's, she's one of the finest in the history of the game. So that would be a huge disappointment for us. But God bless her. Whatever, whatever she needs to do, Maya, you know, she, she, she's going to do. Maya's going to do Maya. Uh, Maya's fans, that's, Maya. That's, right. that's Rebecca Lobo. Hey, and if you have a variation of Rebecca's name you want to share with us, you can share it with Adam Rounder and Pod. You've heard, I said rendition earlier, but I should have said variation, but I call her Lebecca. Um, Coach Landers calls her Rebecca. So if you have any thoughts on what we should be calling her, or if you want to vote for Lebecca, I would be excited for that. Um, hit us up on Twitter at Around the Rim Pod. Rebecca, we will have you back on. Fantastic as always. We appreciate you and have fun at Tennessee on Thursday. Hey, thanks so much. I appreciate you having me on the China. All right, fans, we hope that you enjoyed the show. Big thanks to Rebecca Lobo for joining us. Don't forget, you can comment, ask questions. If you have concerns, you can hit us on Twitter at Around the Rim Pod or on email at Around the Rim Podcast at gmail.com. Oh, LaChina. Yeah. I have some awesome news that I've been waiting to share. Please, please do. What? Well basketball fans you can now listen to around the rim once again on Sirius XM channel 86 on Sundays yes, yes. ESPN you will be airing our weekly podcast on Sirius XM radio so uh, if you miss us you can catch us there I don't know what time so when I find out the time I'll let you guys know but catch us there so just listen to it all day until we come on. How That's about right. that? Um, thank you guys for listening. Yes, check us out now on SiriusXM. And we will see you next week. Until then, watch a lot of women's basketball. A ton. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.